0: It would be a real sad day if every painting company should look exactly the same. Like that would make a really boring job for guys like you and me, right? If every company was supposed to look exactly the same.
1: yeah, I mean, if every company looked exactly exactly the same, I would have a pretty boring podcast,
0: right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Welcome to the Painter Growth Podcast, where we help you scale your painting company in record time. Join us as we explore sales, marketing, hiring, finances, leadership, and more, everything that you need to know to scale and grow your painting business. I hope you enjoy and subscribe. What's up, everybody? Mike Gore-Hickman here, founder of PainterGrowth.com, and you're listening to the Painter Growth Podcast. And I've said a lot of times at the start of episodes that we have a really special guest here. Um, I mean it today. Brad. Brad, I, I'm not going to credit with starting my entrepreneurial journey um, because I was an entrepreneur from like when I was 10 years old, shoveling driveways and and whatever. But Brad gave me my first real opportunity. Um, he recruited me into student painting, was college pro at the time. And he basically gave me my first shot at like a real business and was my coach and mentor for the first uh, two, three years of of my true entrepreneurial journey. So and now he's, a, he's the founder and CEO of Bedrock Advising based out of Okanagan. We'll call it the,
0: we'll call it the Okanagan, sure.
1: The Okanagan, yeah. cool. Um, coaching and mentoring, all types of trades businesses now. But uh, Brad, I'm stoked to
0: have you on, man. Yeah, I. this is fun to reconnect. Um, I mean,
1: this is... About 13 years ago, you recruited me into College Pro Painters. 13,
0: it. No, it's not 13 years ago.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was was actually about 14 years ago. Yeah, it's 2009. Okay. And uh, here we are, right? So what did you see in me at the time?
0: Oh, (laughs) Do we want to go there? (laughs) You know, I do remember the, I have memories of our interview process. Uh, And one of my favorite memories was you came in, speaking of your entrepreneurial bones that were all over and all throughout your body, you came in with your phone And you're, you're showing me pictures from the weekend and it was uh, like, you were jackhammering a driveway or something. And I could just like the energy and excitement that was all over your face about like, I found this gig all on my own. Obviously don't know a ton about jackhammering, but you could see like, there was probably a a little bit of blood, sweat and tears that went into that over the weekend. I could just see the like excitement and energy. About what you're doing, I'm like that. That's a guy I want to work with.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I, I think about that story often. Actually, that that specific that jackhammering job. I had like an ad online on Craigslist that was like, you know, um, guy with a kid with a truck, guy with a truck, yeah. right? I'll do whatever you need. So, a guy yeah. calls me and he's like, I got a I got a stair, a front step, hundred year old front step that needs to be getting rid of. Can you give me a quote on it? So I like, go over there and look at it, and I'm like, like I think about, okay, this is gonna be a big job. I give him the biggest number that I can think of. <laughs> I'm like I'll do it for six hundred bucks. <laughs> anyway, the dump fees ended 600, up being six hundred dollars. Plus, I had to rent this jackhammer, which I had no understanding of how to use at the time. And then, uh, anyway, the 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 old the couple that hired me was so nice; they fed me lunch. They ended up paying me way more than the original bid because it took so long. And um, yeah, that was a lot of work. But uh,
0: what I'm curious for you: what are the key lessons? that stick with you today from that experience
1: um i think grit and determination and doing what you say you're gonna do like i i after like i rented the jackhammer i got started for the first 10 minutes and i was like i am in way over my head (laughs) but i told the customer what i was gonna do and i gave him price and even though it was a handshake agreement i stuck to it i said i'm gonna do it for this price and uh i might have whined a little bit along the way because i was young but i did it (laughs)
0: such an like I I think every business owner even every new business I assume I mean I go through this every day where I'm like well what did I commit to oops but you have to deliver
1: you have to see it through. we've all underbid jobs right And there's times in my painting business I way underbid jobs almost lost my shirt a couple times but you got to finish it you got to see it through to the best of your abilities
0: yeah it's just it's the trait you have to have if you want to run the business if not it's no shame in bowing out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: So you, um, you know, one thing I want to talk about today just to kind of get, get everyone on the hook for what we're going to get into is really like making that transition from um, just running a, a job for yourself. Even if you're not on the tools, mm-hmm. even if you're just running around being an estimator, being a salesperson, being a project manager, you know, part-time painter to being the everything for everyone to being a standalone business that has some like enterprise value that might be worth something one day. So yeah. I want to talk yeah. about, talk about that, but like, I mean, before we do that, like, how did you get started in, in all of this? How did you get started in entrepreneurship and trades and in, in painting?
0: Well, you know, I guess in the same place you did, right? Like in college pro painters, um, unlike I'd say, unlike you, I don't know if I'm born entrepreneur. Um, but I like some of the things that entrepreneurship gives you freedom, flexibility, being in control. Um, so, I, you know, I ended up on the corporate side of a franchisor, which probably you know, gets you like a baby toe in the, the entrepreneurship water. But, you know, m- m- my passion is more coaching and, and training and, and helping others. And so I've accidentally found myself as an entrepreneur in that space um, rather than on purpose. <laughs> Yeah,
1: that's funny. I mean, there's, there's definitely a few routes that people take into getting into entrepreneurship. One is they can't find a job. So they start a company, right? That's one, that's not the one, the route that you took, right? There's the way that I took, which is I'm, I know I'm an entrepreneur. I am completely unemployable. I mean, literally (laughs) I was fired from home Depot. Um, I was fired from like the restaurant business. Um, cause I just am unemployable. Right. But, uh, and then there's your way, which is kind of stumbling into it, into it yeah. the long way.
0: Taken. Um, what, what have you learned
1: about, what do you learn specifically about? Like, um, not even about yourself, but about like, how do I want to describe it? Like, because of how you got brought into entrepreneurship, how does that affect like how you coach and how you uh, convey
0: systems and, and trainings to other contractors? It's a great question, right? It's like, you know, I look at myself as an entrepreneur, owning and running a business, um, and, and you know, going. Well, actually, don't profile as an entrepreneur, and, and so that means something for my journey. You know, I have a little bit less risk tolerance, and so if you look inside my business, that's stamped all over my business. Um, you know, there's things I don't like about. You know, there's things about what's required to be. An entrepreneur that i don't have and you can actually see it stamped all over my business and it still works and i think when when i think of like who i am as coach and consultant and, and what kind of our company does right is it's there's there's a lot of great ideas out there but it's really figuring out how do they work for you who you are in your context um and so that that's my lesson right i'm like even a guy like me can run a successful business Uh, you know there is a way um but if you ignore who you are and if you ignore your context i think it sets you up for failure right so Um, you
1: what you're kind of saying is like everyone like there's so many different ways to run a business there's no exact like cut and dry model to do it you need to kind of think like see who you are as a person not just emulate what tom's doing down the street like do what feels right for you in the context of the market
0: yeah, like I get super skeptical when someone's like, "Do it this way." And you're like, "No, no!" Like these are great things that worked for you, and there's so much lessons to be learned in that. And then I want to figure out, well, how do I apply that for me? Because like, what works for Michael Gore Hickman, well, you've got your own unique way. I couldn't emulate you. Like your radio voice when you popped in here. Ah, I'm like there's no world in which I'm running a podcast someday. <laughs> it's not in my cards. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I could take lessons from you, principles, and apply it to my business. But if I skip that step of like, well, what's what's the learning in that for me, and how do I do that? Um, I think we end up with something that doesn't work if we if we skip that step. So, it's, do it's you just think there's out. from yeah, a like ahead. a meta perspective? Do you think there's
1: a way that you can take a skill like that? Like okay, I see how Mike runs a podcast, and I see how he does his intro and he does all that. Is there a way that you can apply that on like a micro micro scale to to your business?
0: Oh, I'm sure I'm certain there
1: would be. Yeah. Um, Not even just like that, like the podcast skill, because that's a little whatever. But like just in general, seeing how someone does something differently and and taking lessons and just applying them differently to your business.
0: I would hope so, right? Like you know, what a sad day if it isn't right. Yeah. I I, I assume there's maybe there's a couple handful of people listening here. Right. And it's like they're listening because there's this hope that I can learn some take some sort of thing from something and apply it to my world. Um, You know, my philosophy around coaching and consulting is really how do we apply that to you? Um, You know, inside our organization, we don't do a lot of like best practices, tips and tricks. It really is. okay. what's the body of knowledge? um and who are you and who is the context of your business and there's Mm. obviously some underlying principles in business that just are tried tested, and true at the same time right um for sure
1: yeah not everything is going to work for everyone you got to kind of find that right recipe for each person and their preferences and strengths and weaknesses
0: yeah it would be a real sad day if every painting company should look exactly the same like that would make a really boring job for guys like you and me, right? If every company was supposed to look exactly the same.
1: Yeah, I mean, if every company looked exactly, exactly the same, I would have a pretty boring podcast.
0: Right? <laughs> <laughs> and there'd be a lot of unsatisfied customers out there because um, not every person who's looking to buy a paint job is looking to buy from the same company, right? There's different yep. needs, different concerns. So um, that's a great thing.
1: So how, so what if we, when we look at the skill and it of I think it is a skill of transitioning your business from having a job to having a real company, like before we start talking about like the specific day to day things that you need to do, like, who do you, like, what do you, again, I'm trying to, I'm kind of struggling with how to phrase this question, but like, how do you strengthen that skill of like becoming a business owner?
0: What a great <laughs> you know what passion. i mean like not yeah, from it, going from i'm i currently run a business to i'm now a business owner because they're yeah, different oh, i'm being are ran by me? my business more like right or yeah. ran by my business but like i'm now a business owner there's so many skill sets in like what that means like what does it mean to be a business owner versus someone who gets run by their business
1: I mean, if you think about the end result, the end result is I have a business that doesn't it's not that it doesn't require me, but I get to choose what I do. Mm-hmm. Right. I think having the freedom to choose to paint, to choose to do estimates, to choose to um, run run paint and, and move ladders. Like if if you can decide you enjoy doing that and so you choose to do those parts of the business, but you don't have to. Yeah. That is being a business owner.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So how do you get to that point?
0: Well, how do you get to that point, right? That's the question. <laughs> I don't know. Like, where do people get stuck in that transition? Like, what do you see? Um, I think a lot of people have trouble
1: relinquishing control. and yeah. they they, if it has to get if it has to get done right, I have to do it myself. And people are too scared to see to let their team fail, to let their team do something. At a less, lesser quality than they would do it themselves, and use it as a learning opportunity.
0: So yep. instead, they just do it themselves. Yeah. So there's a control. There's a, a, a stuckness around control. Yeah. So how do you How do you flex learning. that muscle? Right. Great question. There's no. There's no like. Here are the answers. Right. Like it, it, you're going to need to engage with who you are, not just as business owner, but who you are and how you hold on to control um you're gonna have to want to though like, there's gonna be a like I, this is the biggest thing i always come to like to walk this transition from i run a business to i own a business you're going to have to change as a person you're gonna have to do like deep personal work on on yourself and you, you know there's so there's one a commitment That has to be made to do that. Mm -hmm. And I I think I I, I finally, we all kind of take that a little bit lightly. Like I've assumed like for myself and my business, like I've had to really do a lot of work to get to here. As I said, like I'm not naturally built to be sitting in this seat. Um, It's a difficult journey. Yeah. But I don't know if people make that, you know, like draw that connection all the time of like, wow, I'm going to have to really... Not change who I am, but like really change behaviors and patterns and deep seated beliefs. I'm going to have to challenge us day in and day out.
1: One of the strategies that we talked about and kind of masterminded our last uh, in-person event was once a, like, if you're the person that everyone calls you to solve problems, right? Your painters always call you, everyone calls you. Um, First of all, don't answer the phone and like call them back (laughs) in 20 minutes see yeah. see if they can figure it out and you'll find a lot of the time you'll you'll get a text like 10 minutes later never mind figured it out
0: yeah
1: <laughs> or just throw the question right back at their face hey hey yeah. boss how do i how do i do this yeah i think you should do it it's a great question like, yeah your team is uh your team is very capable a lot more capable than you probably give them credit for so yeah. challenge them see where they see where they break
0: yeah i mean i i It was like every, well, we know each other from the student painting background. You know, I'd have anywhere from 15 to 25 student franchise owners. And, you know, you can look at the minutes on your cell phone plan for the first two weeks of May versus, you know, the the first two weeks of June versus the first two weeks of July. And you see that transition, which is, you know, yeah, you ask that. I don't know, it annoys people, but never answer a question. My wife tells me all the time, can you just answer it? Why do you have to answer every question with a question? (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. seems to work for me <laughs> yeah. What do you want to have for supper tonight <laughs> <laughs> yeah, It's a good way you know it's it, um, it's a good way to lead
1: So that's I mean that is a leadership uh, trait not trait but kind of tactic right yeah. and I think becoming this person who is capable of running a business that doesn't rely on them has to become a good leader. but you don't go out and do leadership.
0: Right? No. It's like, I'm going to
1: go do leadership today, <laughs> right? It's like, it's like a culmination of a whole bunch of small things that you do that, that kind of like become like, wow, he, you know, he is a good leader because he does all of these different things. So like, what are some of the other easy wins? that some someone make?
0: Yeah, I think there's some beliefs you have to have. And to like circle back to, you know, this that topic of control, like, how do you lead if you don't fundamentally believe that the person that's working for you? Is capable of doing something. Like to me, like that's the belief number one. Like I hold you capable as my painter, as my sub crew, as my production manager. I'm going to hold you capable of doing your job. I am just going to believe that you can figure it out. Mm -hmm. Like that is like to me, like leadership first, first bedrock you put on the pile. You need to actually fundamentally believe you're capable, whether you are or not today. Yeah. I mean yeah. that goes that's that goes perfect. for a lot of things,
1: right? Like if you're if you're gonna say jump across a little gap, you have to believe that you can jump across that gap before you try. Yeah, <laughs> if you yeah. for a second, you're gonna you're gonna fall on your face.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you know that that's where I think you you get stuck with like control or micromanagement. It, it comes from this belief that the person can't. They need you. They, can't, they don't know the answer. They don't know what's best for them. They can't figure it out. Um, that's micromanagement. Mm-hmm. Leadership is, and don't get me wrong, that's micromanagement. I believe in management. Management's a great thing. Uh, leadership is, um, yeah, I, I think you're capable. And a lot of people, you know, They're not
1: capable helping them solve their skill gap.
0: Yeah. Helping them solve it themselves. Yeah. Yeah, that's leadership.
1: I mean, there's there's going to be some times where just training is required right uh,
0: yeah and absolutely absolutely
1: identifying those times like oh i don't <laughs> anyway
0: yeah well I've, i'm with you right like, you see this yeah. in in our industry the training consulting coaching industry this like idea that you should you know the only tool belt in your you know your leadership tool belt is like a coaching leadership tool belt i like that's nonsensical right like yeah there's a training tool you know, there's also a management tool. There's a performance management tool. That's a really good tool. Uh, there's all these tools and you, you're going to have to use all of them. But I think when you transition, when we're talking specifically about this transition from I'm just running a business to I want to own a business, you, you have to pull out the leadership tool, the coaching. Mm-hmm. Tool. I don't think you get there without that tool. Um, and that tool being be really developed. And one of the principles there is like, yeah, I hope people is capable of, of doing their job.
1: So something that you're really good at is um, and that's actually a good, good uh, description. So training, teaching someone a skill um, is really coaching them and and being a good coach is being a good leader. So can you kind sure. of like juxtapose the difference between just training and coaching?
0: Yeah, I, and I think that's such a that's a great question, Mike, right? Like distinguishing between what these different tools are, right? Like training is a tool where like I'm just going to tell you how to do something. Right. So like if we're, I'm not a golfer, so I think you probably golf a little bit. You could teach me how to golf. Right. And you like, here's how you hold the golf club and here's how you swing. That's teaching. You know, teaching is training. Right. And, and that's a great tool if I have no idea what I'm doing. And I want to learn. Right. Like you've taken me out to a golf course. I can guarantee I have no idea what I'm doing there, but I'm like, Mike, I really want to learn how to do this. And you're going to tell me everything about golf. And I'm going to be like, cool. I'm going to be a sponge. I'm going to soak it up.
1: You'll probably get Jesse Tarrant actually to teach you that. We'll get Jesse out there, right?
0: (laughs) We got a really good trainer, right? But you're going to train me. And that's that's teaching, right? I have no idea what I'm doing. And I've expressed a sincere desire that I want to be taught. So it works great. Coaching is like, I'm concerned about getting better at something. But like, um, I'm, I've got some form of—I'd call it stuckness—and um, and so coaching is, is a combination of questions and challenges and analogies, where you're you as the person being coached are going to make all the calls, right? So if I'm Tiger Woods, he's a golfer, right? Um, and Tiger awesome. Woods already knows how—he already knows how to golf, right? You don't have to teach him. Um, but there are no fundamentals
1: wanna, that he still needs to learn.
0: There's no fundamentals. No, there's no fundamentals, right? But someone needs to coach him um, to performance. And so it, that that looks a lot different, right? Um, These are actually a really great uh, Will Smith movie, Legend of Bigger Vance. If you want to see what coaching looks like as opposed to training, just go watch that movie. It is a great example. I love that movie. That's what How about, Will how about Coach Smith Carter? Was. Have you seen Coach Carter? I haven't Have you- seen it. I haven't seen it. That's a football one, right? Uh basketball,
1: um, Samuel Jackson. I feel like that's a good coaching coaching example as
0: well. So that's coaching, but then we also have like managing. And managing is a skill set that's completely different, right? Like manager versus coach. Like the manager is gonna make is gonna call the shots. When you're in coaching mode, you call no shots. When you're in managing mode, you call shots, right? It's like this is the goal. You know, what'd you learn? Here's some advice. Like I'm giving advice. And now when I'm starting to give advice, like I'm going to tell you what to do now, I've crossed into some form of management manager or consultant. That's why like consultants are professional advice givers. I'm going to tell you what to do. Really great if you don't know what to do and want to be told what to do. If you don't want to be told what to do. add tool, right? Like, let's go back to our coaching tool. And so, you know, one of these, when we go back to this transition, right, from I run a business to I'm, well, I, own, like, I own a business, you have a more defined skill set where you know which tool you're using, you understand why you're using it with the person in front of you. And so you're developing a bit of a, I call it an executive tool belt, which, which sometimes you don't, you haven't just, you just haven't had the opportunity to get that tool belt yet when you've just been out running a business, right? We all went through that.
1: There's some really great ways to teach things, some things I think that people could use to learn how to like identify or how to get into that coaching and leadership perspective. And I would say, um, like situational leadership and the one minute manager that can, yeah. I, yeah. like I think that's a great intro. It's a very small book, very quick, very fun read. Yeah. But then, but then that kind of gives you the idea of what the different types of leadership and coaching are and then how to use them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like you think of the, the leading situationally model, right? Like, you know, when we talk about directive or being directive, like that's kind of a little bit more like training. Whereas when we talk about, say, like supporting, that's actually a little bit more, but we mean by coaching. Um, you know, that what are the job.
1: different, what are the different types of situational leadership? So you said like being directive, there's four quadrants, isn't there?
0: Yeah, is a directive, coaching, supporting and delegative, right? Okay. Yeah, I think uh,
1: that's right. Can you just quickly brief on each one of them and, and how they kind of work well, with I each other think, when, when each
0: would be useful? I think the idea of the model, right? If we take someone's like, I've never done something before. So I'm going to come work for you as a painter. And I've never touched a paintbrush before. And so like I'm, I should be, you'd consider me like an eager learner. And I'm well aware that I don't know anything. And I also don't know anything. So you can be pretty directive with me, right? Like we can train you. You don't know what you're doing. You know, you don't know what you're doing and you're pretty
1: excitable. Hold the roller handle like this, go all the way to the top, yeah. Come all the way to the bottom, make sure there's no Perfect. lap lines.
0: Perfect. And then we get into doing the task and stuff goes like, things don't work, right? So you get this person who's now like, they have some experience, like a little bit of experience or knowledge. Um, and they get, you know, you see that all the time. It's like, I've tried it that. Like You, you hear someone, this is the like the, the clue, right? If someone says, well, I tried it that way. It doesn't work. It's like, boom, the second you hear that, put down the training tool and pick up a new tool, right? Because that training tool, like training someone who doesn't believe something's going to work, and you get that like, I've tried that, that doesn't work. Don't, don't try to train that person. <laughs> They're telling you, I don't want to be trained. So you're going to have to adjust your style. And so in that model, they call it coaching, which is, you know, asking them questions. And I mean, sometimes, you know, it reads like manipulation. So but you know, it's coaching. And the idea in that model, when they say coaching, I actually don't like the word, because to me it's more managing in that quadrant, because at the end of the day, you're going, you don't have a ton of experience. I'm gonna still make the call, me as boss, right? It's like, we'll talk about it. I'm not just gonna tell you, like, we'll talk about it, we'll process through it, we'll share ideas. By the end of the day, I'm gonna, I need you to do it this way, because you're new, you don't don't know. So I wouldn't actually, I I don't like the word coaching there, because I'm like, that's not coaching uh i'd call that quadrant managing myself okay but then you get so then you keep going right and the person gets better and now we've got this like person who knows how to do their job and maybe sometimes they just screw up Uh, i always use the sports analogy it's like a guy who's scored a lot of goals and been a star before but he's in like a bit of a funk right so like say you're say you're that guy you're like i've been the pro professional top goal scorer in the league and i haven't scored in seven games do we want to teach that person how to do a wrist shot (laughs) <laughs> I don't know about you. He's gonna slap it in my face, right? Like, yeah. So no, we're gonna we're gonna support that, you know. So they call it supporting in that quadrant, which is actually more what I'd call coaching. Which is I'm gonna hold you capable. You get to make the decisions. I'm here with some questions and some thoughts and some analogies to help you work through where you're stuck on your performance. But you're still gonna make the calls because you know what you're doing. And then we get to the delegative quadrant, which is more um you know your 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 head game is in and you also still have the skills so we're gonna let you just just run that's that's that model there's things i like about it things i don't like about it
1: yeah i think the supportive is like when you're talking with tiger woods earlier like that's definitely where tiger woods would be right like his coach is definitely a supporter like okay let's problem solve this
0: like together right well they Um, they talk about they talk about in the model it's like uh you know if you think of the x y axis it's it's capability so skill and knowledge Right. So like if you have high skill and knowledge and then there's what they call commitment, which is such a loaded word. But um, what they really mean is willingness and motivation to the task. So like I could be fully committed to golf, you know, but I might not be willing to you know, hit with a certain club because I'm like I've struggled with my driver. So like I'm just not willing. I'm fully committed to golf. I'm not willing and motivated to use my driver today. And so that's what they're in that model. They're talking about capability, skills and knowledge. And they're talking about commitment, which is uh, willingness and motivation. And it's all to a task, like a specific task. That's how, I mean, people can go read the book if they're interested.
1: Yeah, I think I think the analogy kind of falls apart with golf because it is, it is nonlinear <laughs> with the time spent practicing golf to how good you get. And any golfers listening, <laughs> absolutely. Like you can golf for 30 years and still not be any good. <laughs>
0: Yeah, probably. I don't know. Yeah. I but if you,
1: I guess that's also the difference between doing something and having and doing something, um, practicing something uh, diligently with a specific outcome, like um, yep. intentionally practicing yes.
0: and training versus just doing something. Right. Those are two different skills or two different. Well, things. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's what people call deep practice. Right. And um, people and doing. I love that. Like doing something doesn't increase your skill. Yeah.
1: Like I play Practice. a lot of uh, bullet chess on, on my phone. So like one minute chess <laughs> game, very fast, does not improve my chess skill Your at all. Exactly. Yeah. Like like before I, when I had more free time, I would like, I would like read chess books and I would do puzzles and I would study openings. And like, while I was doing that, you know, diligent study, I, I would go like my rating would go up, but yeah. now I'm just playing bullet. I'm just kind of, just kind of garbage. I do it for fun, but it, my skill doesn't improve.
0: Maybe your skill of making
1: fast decisions improves. Uh, no way of deciding. Okay. Well, I mean, if, if that skill would improve, then my chess rating should go up, in theory. <laughs> in theory. <laughs> so we've we've covered some different types of coaching. Um, how do we like when we look at our team? And I was actually just talking to um, someone a little bit earlier, and so their, you know, their employees, and maybe it's an unfixable issue, but their employees seem to be doing something as an example doing things without a lot of foresight. they're putting ladders you know in the walkways they're um, you know just like setting up the job without thinking a few steps ahead. So yeah. with this someone like that, how would you approach that I'm sure a lot of people listening have painters who you know are like that how would you approach that that conversation or that skill of helping them, have better foresight and become
0: more forward-thinking employees? It's a great question. Right? Like everything in my, every bone in my body is yelling gas, which is a great acronym I got from a client actually, which I don't know what language I'm allowed to use on your podcast here, but that's give whatever a the you fuck do. you want. Yeah, that's your give a shit meter, right? Yeah. And so every bone's like, oh, that problem is they don't have, a you know, the give a shit meter is not revving high enough, right? Um, <laughs> they need more gas. Uh, but like maybe, that. right? Maybe. You know, I think that's like, I would say 99% of business owners, like that's where our head goes. Like that's the assumption we made right? It's gas. Um, I don't know. know, The one thing that you get from that situational leadership model that I love, right? The first question, right? It's like, is this a capability issue, which is skill and knowledge? Or are we dealing with a commitment issue, which is willingness and motivation? And again, like a commitment is such a loaded word. Like, I don't mean like they're committed to their job, committed to your company. I mean, like they have a willing, you know, a confidence issue, right? Like, am I willing and motivated to, you know, make that decision, right? Like people, sometimes people don't make decisions because they don't have confidence. Um, So that's the first question, right? Is like, what are we dealing with? Are we dealing with a capability issue? Are we dealing with like a commitment issue?
1: Mm-hmm. Like, do and they I want mean, to get better or are they just kind of, is their give a shit
0: meter low, running low? Yeah. Like, uh, do they have a confidence issue? Is there a give a shit meter? Do they, do they know how to be better? Do they need some guided practice? You know, like uh, the answer is like, I guess I'm getting at it. Like if it's, if I was to give advice, it'd be like, go have a conversation with that person and put aside your assumptions for a minute about what you think the issue is because I for me I'm like my assumptions are screaming while it's gas and my experience is like ah sometimes it's not actually <laughs> like you get into the conversation you're like you learn something
1: yeah it's funny okay. I was talking to a client a couple of months ago and this this story just popped in my head um he was having issues with this painter the painter was like being unreliable and his you know he was making excuses and and all this stuff and and my client was like maybe this guy just doesn't want to be here like maybe he's just not happy at work and he's like mike what do i do what do i do like well have you talked to him about this issue
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's Uh, it's i think we're hitting at a really important part like you know like i said like i think one principle as we walk this path from I run a business or it runs me to, I own a company is the development of an executive tool belt of skills that I know them. I can label them and I understand which one to pull out and why another one is like curiosity, like you, instead of like making assumptions or thinking it's this way, you have to like, go look under the rock and be curious and and kind of go like, well, yeah, like I'm going to have all these employee issues. Now that I have this business and I've got 30 employees, I'm going to have a lot of conversations and there's so common This orientation I hear about business owners I don't want to do that conversation it's a waste of time it's like so much this so much that I'm like man if you can't get to the point where you're curious and want to have those conversations that business is not gonna be an asset worth any money mm-hmm. You gotta be curious and want to have those conversations because you're never gonna learn what you need to learn and move your business forward you're gonna make a I bunch think- of assumptions.
1: A lot of people don't, I mean, we're talking about leadership, we're talking about coaching, but a lot of people don't really do any management. Once they get their team up and running, they're painting houses, they're doing jobs, they really don't do any management. You know, they don't do weekly check-ins, they don't have a scorecard, they don't have expectations, accountabilities, like any of that. What should an ideal employer-employee communication cadence look like in a good management
0: scenario? Well, there should be two cycles going on. There should be a performance management cycle, and there should, which is what you we're talking about right there, right? Which is like we've we've got a scorecard, we set some goals, we've got alignment on it, we've got some sort of dashboard or, or measurement of results, and there's some sort of cadence of, you know, a huddle, you know, one-on-one performance meeting, and then there's like the formal review. So that's our performance management cycle, and then we we should also have a leadership cycle which is a little bit different, right? Like that's more just like what we're talking about right before, which is like understanding the person. So that's a whole other cycle, but like inside the performance management cycle, it's like, what's the cadence? I don't know. Right. Like I come from a world where we did weekly one-on-ones. Um, I like one-on-one because I think you can learn more about the person, but you could do group meetings, they accomplish the same thing, you know, like, mm-hmm. and like, is it every day? Is it every week? Is it every two weeks. It's going to depend on context. I mean, the more green someone is, well, I think I'd want to do it more often. The, you know, the more experience, maybe, maybe it doesn't have to be as often. You know, if I, if I like we come from a world where we like did 99% of our revenue in four months, right? You're going to want to meet often, right? Because you've got this short runway. But if, I, if I'm doing, you know, 8.3% of my revenue every month, I've got a longer runway, I don't need to make as rapid change. So maybe maybe I don't meet as often. So like, I think those are some of the things they consider about what like, what is the cadence or what should it be? It's like, well, how, what's the knowledge level or experience of the employee? And and what's my runway length? Or like, how quickly do I need to make change? Like the difference between startup and 30 year old company? Mm -hmm. It's gonna have a different cadence in their performance management cycle. But, but you're uh, every... Everyone, right. every like, nobody does management when they make this, they go from like, uh, I'm on the tools I'm run the business. And now I'm like on the beach in Mexico, you know, sipping some sort of great drink. And it's like, there's some stuff in between there. <laughs> right. Yeah. A lot of that is management. A lot of it. Yeah, you're right. A lot of it's performance management. So if you're
1: doing um, a one-on-one cool. with a team member and say, say you get into a cadence in your business where you're meeting with each one of your team members, each one of your painters once a week, it doesn't have to be long, 15, 30 minutes, max, yeah. right? Once a week. Yeah. What type of, what and I know like everyone could go out and they could read. Um, um, uh, what's it called? The rocket fuel. The other one. Um, traction,
0: uh, traction. Traction. Yeah. yeah you can go read
1: traction, traction and kind of get some ideas there, but sure. to, yeah. to just go through all that, what type of um, agenda? should someone have on a, on a weekly one-to-one with a team member
0: i mean all you, know, you can pull whatever template or model you want right it's going to be like review last week goal you know set goal whatever like i i you've got templates i've got templates traction's got with templates for days sure. right um i don't know what's the outcome of the meeting it's like what's the outcome
1: <laughs> um to yeah make sure that metrics are Make sure they're being productive. Make sure they're happy. Make sure they understand what's going on. Yeah,
0: I. Uh, it's uh, my biggest mentor. I don't know if he knows he's my biggest business mentor or not. Former VP of a company we worked at. Uh, you know, he's he. He always one of the things he always said about one-on-ones that I love. Right? He's like, uh, did the other person have a good time? Like, was it fun? Yeah, and so I remember I'd be driving home from work after like a one-on-one, we had a one-on-one meeting and he'd call me and it'd be like laugh. And I'd always ask, so like, Hey, I, I thought, our, I thought our performance meeting was pretty good today. Like, like, cause I knew he would call people if he thought like he always went, he always said like, after your one-on-one meeting, you got to ask yourself two questions. Did the person have fun? And do you think they're going to hit their goal or not? And if the answer is no, for goodness sakes, call them. Like, Don't wait a week to find out, right? Um, and so, like, I don't know, sim- whatever the model you're using, like, I love those I like two
1: I like that for an outcome. It's yeah. super simple. Just cut yeah. through it all. Have fun.
0: And, like, fun is important, right? Because especially in something like performance meetings, like, you'll see this in an organization where, like, the management absolutely loves the performance meeting cycle. But, like, every employee despises it. Right? They don't want to be there. Because it's such, it's this someone's taken the template off the shelf that they've been taught by whatever book or consulting company of like, here's this rigidity of this meeting. And like, everyone hates going, right? Because nobody was like, sure, we want to follow that agenda. But like, it's got to be fun and enjoyable so that somebody wants to show up next week and engage in it. Instead of, like, show up with the attitude of, like, I'm just going to tell Mike what he needs to hear so, like, he leaves me alone because I don't want to get my head ripped off. Mm -hmm. Like, it's got to be fun. Um, And not rigid. While still being rigid. (laughs)
1: Yeah. While still accomplishing what you're trying to accomplish.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, I I mean, I've done 100,000 hours of one-on-one meetings. Lots. We've done a lot together, I would think. Yeah you know like when i reflect back i'm like i bet mike hated 99 of those meetings (laughs) right and or like you know i'm sure i've got subordinates that would say that about you know our meetings and you know when i reflect back it's like it's the rigidity of like what's the goal the goal is 40 hours of painting or what's the what's the plan well i'm going to do this boring right like it's boring it can also
1: be boring if the person that you're doing your one-to-one meeting with doesn't see the reason for it. Right? If yeah, they're like just right. coming in and they just want to get their 40 hours in and that's it. Like it yeah. can be hard to motivate someone to want to do that. So that's that kind of ties into performance pay too. I think that that having performance pay in any in almost every role is pretty important.
0: Can be, yeah. Can be. Can be. That's I'll a lot. That's a whole other conversation. Like that's a rabbit hole. We got time. <laughs> so, so, so my, my life, I love yeah. performance pay, don't get me wrong. Okay. Like love performance pay. So we come from a world where it was peace rated, right? Mm-hmm. And you would ask me like, is that fantastic? And is that the way to do it? Well, absolutely the way to do it. Like peace rate is like, what could be more motivating and fair for an employee to get paid exactly what they earned? I produced 80 hours. Doesn't matter if it took me 60, 70 or fifty. I get my eighty hours times whatever my pay is. Um, I w- was running a business where it came out throughout the whole organization. You know, we had three hundred painters where it was like two hundred and ninety of them. Their perspective of the piece rate it was was it was there to take advantage of them, and we actually started testing and shifting people to hourly, and we were getting more productivity on hourly. Why do you think Fluid that is? State- Was it was it badass? Everything flew in the face of what I thought it should happen. Right? It was like every bone in my body is like that should not happen that way. Um, But they, you know, they were stuck on. You know, my my take was like uh, stuck on. You know, like well, they they didn't get the results from the performance based pay, so they weren't winning. So, then this is the challenge with like I love performance based pay, but if no, if people aren't winning enough. Immediately, they go to this thing's rigged. This is out to get me. This is the you know some like corporate thing to like make sure the corporation makes more money. And so that's that's my challenge with performance-based pay. You set up these performance-based pays pay, for performance pay structures, and nobody's winning. And it'll it'll actually do more harm than good. Mm-hmm. If the, people are
1: consistently it. coming in below,
0: yeah. So you have to be winning. Yeah, and or you have to rig
1: the uh, rig the system in your employees' favor, right? Yeah. Pay them when they win, but take the yeah. hit when they lose.
0: Yeah, I was working with a company the other day. we were unrolling. It took us one of the. We started in March of last year. It's like I want to do performance based pay. I'm like, I told them like, if we put performance based pay in right now with this group of people with what's going on in your business, they're all going to quit because you guys are losing a lot and you're going to lose for the next nine months we had to go like we went through pretty painful hard decisions restructuring and like we're sitting here today i'm like oh like they've hit their they've exceeded their numbers for three months now complete night and day turnaround um and they're like okay we're gonna do performance-based pay in january and i was like for goodness sakes like rig it (laughs) he's like what do you mean i'm like like let's take the 50k off in January and like let's spread that throughout the year. <laughs> you know we'll get it back later if they win in January and then they win again in February, it'll take care of itself. Mm-hmm. But with what this team has gone through, if they lose in January, the whole the whole implementation of it is it's soured. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you, you have gotta win, to have
1: right? some big win to the start, so get yeah. bought into the system.
0: Yeah. So you know like that that's a principle in performance based pay, right? It's like it's Yes, I agree. Like it's it's great. I love performance-based pay. But it's oversimplifying it to say it always works.
1: Fair. Fair. I mean, yeah. that's pretty much there's there's no um Jedi doesn't deal in absolutes.
0: Yes, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a like great line, right like, yeah. right.
1: There's no there's there's no one size fits all approach, but I think a lot of the time, a lot of the time, performance pay is good, or finding a way to do performance pay in your business, oh, yeah. at least to incentivize people or have bonuses, not even necessarily piece rate,
0: like product, production quality. Yeah. I, I love it. I mean, now you're, you're trying to figure it out in the long run to get it in place, but sometimes it's cart before horse to start with it. Um, yeah. It, it is my experience. I've, I've seen it not work so often. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and you're sitting there going, why? This is great. Like, this is the way it should work. Um, but I love your line, right? Like you know, if you deal in absolutes uh, and you just hear like performance-based pay and it's like, yeah, if you're just going to go implement it because everyone says it works, you're going to, well, we'll see how it turns out, right? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So we, we talked about, you know, the difference between coaching and training um, and teaching, right? We talked a little bit about um, skill transfer. What else are like, if we could, if we could dig into like one more required skill that someone needs to like become that or not even become that leader, but start becoming that leader who could maybe one day have a business that runs without them, what kind of comes to mind?
0: I mean, it's probably pretty tired and obvious, but like there has to be a commitment to structure and systems. Like you've, you've got to get out of the, like like the gunslinger wild west mentality of like just figure everything out right and sure you can go way overboard with like an uh, over reliance on trying to create systems to solve every problem i don't i'm not one of those people but like you've got to put some structure in place um to make things repeatable mm-hmm. and, i mean i don't think it's to... as
1: obvious is as, as not as obvious to everyone as you think maybe <laughs> I mean it's super important to have systems. Yeah. So yeah. how do you how would you recommend someone who doesn't have an SOP library for what for anyone listening? That's standard operating procedure. Mm-hmm. Uh like a place where you keep all of your systems and processes. So if someone doesn't have one of those, they've never written a system before, they just are running their business, maybe doing right. between twenty and a hundred thousand a month without any written and documented yeah. systems. Where do you start?
0: Uh once per quarter, having an like what's the biggest initiative in your business right now? Right? Like, say I'm sitting here and it's like, you know what? I'm like, I'm the thing holding our business back is lead generation, All right? You're going to do a bunch of stuff over the next three months. I'm assuming to try to get more leads while you're doing that initiative. Systemize it, work on that. Cause you're doing that work anyways, right? So if you're doing the work anyways, you might as well systemize it as you go. You know, like so when, when you, you say
1: systemizing, you mean just open up a word document or write down what you're doing and how you did it.
0: Yeah, sure. Or even better, like get someone else in the company to do it. I don't know. Um, I mean, go to chat GPT, plug it in, get 80% of the way and edit from there. Like things are, you know, it's it's always less work than people think it is, right? Like they're like SOP, structure systems, and we build it up to be this big thing. It's like, it doesn't have to be a big thing, right? It's just like, just write stuff down. It's not a finished product. You're going to change it in a month, two months, a year or two years, like, Yeah, you know, I I don't know if you hear this all the time. I've heard this all the time. Once all my SOPs are done, or once I have the library, (laughs) as if as if there's like this finish line. I'm like, the second you get to the finish line, someone like changes your CRM, makes an update to it, comes out with a new paintbrush, a whole new line of paint. Like everything is always changing. There's no finish line to your system. There's so what? So like just you find
1: a better way to do it. You yeah, remember like, about something else, like you. Yeah the, yeah,
0: the second you think you found the right way to do it, like that's a sad day, because now you're in fixed mindset instead of growth mindset, right? You're like, this is perfect. This is we just stop. um So I, you know, I always like laugh. I'm like, there's no finish line, so just I just relax, do one thing at a time, like mean, whatever you're working on. It'd be, oh, I needed a process for this because this happened one time. I'm like, really? I don't. know. will wait and see if it happens again. <laughs> Yeah, build a, build an SOP for something that happened, you know, went wrong three times. That's kind yeah. of my There's role.
1: also like working on like working hard versus working on the wrong thing versus the right thing. Like I yeah. had a client who had no work and he was writing an SOP on how to do interior paint jobs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, like we got to, we got to get our priorities sorted out, right? Like you gotta be, yeah. you gotta be marketing, you gotta be doing estimates. This is not a priority right now. <laughs>
0: So I've seen this. I don't know if you see this, like, uh, the, as people take this transition from working in the business to working on the business, which is one of the things, like lines I absolutely hate. Uh, I love it, but I hate it at the same time. So I'm like, I'm working in the business, and now I'm working on the business because I own this asset. There's this like, my time ought to be spent in, I guess Stephen Covey would call it quadrant two, right? Like non-urgent, highly important tasks. And I should spend 95% of my time there. And we demonize quadrant one, right? Like highly important, highly urgent tasks, like getting work. I'm like, what on earth is wrong with spending 100% of your work on highly important and highly urgent tasks? What is wrong with that? I mean,
1: there's there's no, I operate my business in that, but not even like I put urgency yeah. on myself, even for things that are yeah. not urgent.
0: Sure but I, I don't know i i live 95% of my days in quadrant 1. Now you have got to get to quadrant 2 once in a while cuz that keeps you out of like the quadrant th- 3 in Cubby's model, right? But i see uh, this is like common for me as people walk this transition they're like i need to do only proactive stuff. I'm like no, I, I don't i don't think i don't think you know guys running multi-million dollar companies are only doing proactive work. There's lots of highly important highly urgent tasks that need to get done mm-hmm. and if you ignore those there your business is going to crumble right like as you said or you're like uh put down the sop and like go book a job
1: <laughs> yeah but you know if you're if you're doing these highly important highly urgent things you know it's not a bad idea to document along the way if it's a repeatable oh, thing sure, that you're doing right? your business often
0: yeah 100 percent yeah and then um, you get
1: into that point where you don't have to do those things anymore. You have an estimator doing your highly important, highly urgent estimates, right? And you have a marketer doing your highly important, highly urgent
0: fire drops and whatnot. Yeah. yeah. Well, and like and, and they're doing it. So like, I don't know, like get them to document it. Yeah. It goes back to that thing you said about control, right? Like we hold this control where like, Oh, on, only I could document the procedure. I'm like, I don't know if I run a painting company, I got a bunch of painters. I would, they're the right people to document the painting process. What do I know? I'm I'm not out there every day. Yeah. I I could, you know, come up with a bunch of marketing procedures from like 17 years ago from what I think someone should do for a painting company, but like, I'm not out there. (laughs) You tell me. Yeah,
1: exactly. And then what what we've, a little tip that we've heard is go, go out there with an audio recorder or with your phone and take an audio recording or a video of someone doing a skill that you want to document. And then, and then transition that into a, into a written document or have a,
0: have and, an assistant. Yeah. Well, like just film it. I, I guess, you know what, one of the places I get stuck all the time and I think a lot of people get stuck is like, it needs to look great. And I'm like, does it though? Like if that's the thing holding you up, like it looks great from just getting something on paper or getting a quick recording. Like, yeah, you, you can always redo it later. <laughs> You don't need formatting, especially not, at the in start. not in today's world, right? Like people watch this, like, this is how we consume information. Now podcast style or Twitter, right? Like uh, there's not the same expectation of like production value.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's not like right. it's an external document. It's just for you and
0: your team. So yeah, yeah, it's cool. And then someone comes in and is like, I think this could be done better. And it's like, awesome. Here's the recording. Go nuts. <laughs> like. Go replace it. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So yeah. how are
1: you how are you currently um, uh, offering your coaching skill to the contractor community? What does that look like right now? What does Bedrock look like?
0: A uh, Classic membership community. Um, you know, our core product to our, our members is, is a one on one service. Um, and it's really a balance between these things. Like we do consulting. We do, you know professional coaching uh we do business training um there's a one-on-one model um mm-hmm. this is what we um, and we're not and you know, we're not exclusively in the contracting space um i think based on where i've come from there's a lot of contracting industries inside our membership but it's um, not exclusive yeah, so no.
1: someone wants to reach out and, and chat with you how how should they do that
0: uh, bedrockadvising.com jump on there learn a little bit about us there's Uh, a link to a calendar Uh, anyone can jump on my calendar and if you can't find space just email us call us we'll meet with people um we love what we do
1: well i can put i'll put your uh contact link in the uh, description of this podcast wherever it is youtube spotify and if anyone wants to reach out to brad i mean you guys heard it just today smart dude knows a lot about business saw some hope in me when i was 19 (laughs) or 20
0: Uh, i love what you're doing with this right like this is cool um and a lot of good content uh, uh, from what i've seen and i think making making a big impact on a lot of great painting companies out there so uh keep up the good work
1: i'm working on it this is just the beginning
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah good um, i'm excited to see what you come up with because um yeah you guys are doing some cool stuff
1: sounds good brad well uh thanks again for coming on man i was hugely valuable um i mean i got a whole page of notes here so stoked to uh
0: chat with you again and Sorry, sorry, cutting you off. Fun conversation. So thanks for having me, and uh, it was good to catch up. Thanks, Brad. Awesome. Till next yeah. time.
1: Thanks for listening to the Painter Growth podcast. If you want to grow your painting business, go to www.paintergrowth.com or click on the top link in the description.
0: Talk soon.